America has just elected a fascist. And I don't use the word fascist lightly. How we are supposed to deal with this monster who's just been elected president of America. Because I don't think any of us in years to come should look back at this period and not say that we did everything in our power to call out for what it is. Hello and welcome to the Irish Stand podcast. My name is Aon the Rodan. And I'm Lisa Tierney Q. And just to give, I suppose, an explainer as to what Irish Stand is or, or why we're having this podcast, we, we wanted to talk about the midterm elections uh, that are coming up on Tuesday, November 6th. And Irish Stand is an organisation that myself and Lisa helped uh, organise after Trump's election in November 2016. I'm an Irish senator. I made a speech in the Irish Senate after his election, which went viral, had about 50 million views uh, worldwide. And after that speech, we kind of felt a responsibility to do something with it. Uh, and looking at the number of Irish Americans who are involved in the Trump administration, the number of Irish names who, who surround him as an individual, the amount of Irish Americans who seem to be supporting him and his narrative and his racism and his xenophobia, it's quite disturbing, I suppose, for Irish people that so many Irish Americans would forget their own heritage, the the history of Ireland, the experience of, of immigrants uh, in the States, which is just the same as what Mexicans are going through now or, or Muslims are going through now. Uh, the Irish are the people of of coffin ships, the Irish are the people of mass immigration, the Irish are the people who had to overcome um, sectarian bigotry in the past. So we want to just try and drill down as to why this is happening, uh, why Irish America has, or a portion of Irish America has, is siding with this um, patently uh, racist and xenophobic uh, president. And, and maybe in a small way to add uh, some momentum to making a change uh, for uh, for the better uh, on November 6th. Now, Lisa, you were you were in the States for, for quite a long time. You were a resident there for, for 10 years. You've married an American. You have a um, a daughter and you're, you're home in Ireland now. And we got to, together with a number of other people to to uh, have a number of events. We had a fantastic event in, in March. It's on St. Patrick's Day in 2017. 20, uh, Again, St. Patrick's Day in, in 2018. And we had an event in Dublin as well. And the whole reason for that was, yes, to raise money. We raised money for the ACLU in the States. And we raised money for the Irish Refugee Council here. But really, it's about saying that Irishness is is, a, is very, very different to the perception I have, or we have potentially, of Irishness in the States, which is is, is of a very conservative, um, you know, white European success story, um, which is not something that I think Irish people in, in Ireland would be comfortable with but tell us about the America that you that you lived in and the America that you left well first of all I'm also a citizen I became a citizen primarily so I could vote but also I had this mad notion in the back of my head I thought well I have a kid now so I better get I better become a citizen on the off chance that anyone ever tries to deport me now the likelihood of me ever being deported under Trump was very very small but when I left there was a conversation around there's there was conversations around dinner tables of like it could be anybody it could be any group could be targeted now when i moved to america i moved there under barack obama and it was a very very different place now that said i'm sure there are people in america in fact i know there are people in america who thought that the 8 years under obama were a living hell well when i left the place had changed 
I mean, it, America is a deeply complex, complicated place, but it had changed into this very toxic, divided place that basically feels like at the moment it's on fire. I mean, it's people are exhausted over there. They're weary. They're worn down and they're being stirred like. They've got PTSD, like they're they're suffering such stress because you, of what's going on. But you're on. in New York, or you're a playwright, yeah. okay, and, and you're in New York. But surely I would have thought New York was sort of cocoon of of progressive uh, mentality. That you know, uh, it's a democratic city. It's it's multicultural by its very nature. It works as a city. That surely New York would be somewhere you would feel safe. And that yeah, it, it, it except for the subways, everything works. Yeah. No. Um, it, it definitely feels you definitely feel safer from it in New York. Now, I will say this. There's something about the northeast that whenever I would go over to the West Coast, eh, it's a little more chill out, much more chill, much less of an infiltration of media output about politics. So in the northeast, even when you're in places like Boston, which is a super um, you know, democratic state, um, and New York City, which is, you know, like you said, protected, definitely protected. But when you're living there, you feel it. You really, really feel it. Um, and when you're living amongst people who are effectively being told by the president, you are less than. That's a horrible, horrible way to live. I mean, it's an incredibly privileged position to be a white skinned person in America. You cannot be human and have compassion and look around you and see these people are being treated as less than and being told that you're not welcome here. Hate crimes rose. Um, the violence that we've seen, the documented violence, the increase in violence that has happened since Trump has been elected is having an effect on the national psyche. And it is just increasingly becoming us versus them. And do you and feel it more keenly because because your daughter, because you have an American born daughter? Well, so... This is this is a complicated situation. My daughter started school when she was three, which was just because of the New York public school system. She had to do an active shooter drill age three and ten months in her school. She didn't know what it was, but they take all the kids, they bring them into the bathroom and they make them hide. Some teachers have heard will give the kids lollipops to keep them quiet. And that is not that is not a safe, secure or positive culture for children to grow up in. And I think that once when Sandy Hook happened, I'm going way back here, but mm. when Sandy Hook happened and it became OK to shoot children in a, in a school and nothing was done, that was effectively the end of any sort of gun reform. Mm. When you do something like that and well, nothing well, happens. Nobody suggested it was OK, but there was no political reaction to it. No, there was, there was no change. No, it was it was normalized. It didn't, didn't it didn't change anything. It was normalized. Right. So when Dunblane happened okay. in Scotland, uh, you know, the the system came to a halt yeah. and there was a political reaction that something had to change in terms of legislation or tightening up on gun control. And they did. But and Sandy Hook happened and And nothing changed. Tossed and prayers, uh, everybody said the right things, but effectively there was absolutely no change. Yeah. And so when that happened, when you when you normalize that, then you're going down a certain road. When Trump As got elected, this, this is the this is the cost. This is what's going to happen in a free society. That's the argument. Is that look on, on the whole, and um, the Second Amendment is so important that the odd Sandy Hook is going to happen, and that's sad. But what's much more important is that we maintain our gun rights. Yeah, and that is a huge part of there. There is I I, I have tried really really hard in my in my tenure in America to understand 
to really, really genuinely understand what what is this attachment to guns and what is and I, the only thing I can think of it's it's attached to identity and sense of self and you know America is a very young country um, and you know the the founding fathers and their constitution and their pride in that that's the only thing I can think of um, and I think that that is a huge part of what divides. America. Guns are a huge part of it. It's an incredibly violent culture. Um, and there's this kind of thing of like, you know, I've got to protect myself. I've got to protect my family. It's us versus them, you know, less government, you know, yeah. each every every man for themselves kind of thing. The government's going to come and take my guns. The government's going to come yeah. and take my guns. Less government, please. All that stuff, less government. And that's effectively where the, that's that's where the split is getting wider and wider. And and. Also, then, so when Trump got elected, so that's going to be that's a, that plays a huge part in to where America is right now. I think when Trump got elected and there was the Muslim ban, which has it, it's been upheld. Is that correct? Or was it shut down? Oh, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's hard to keep up with, with, with the state with of it. But I think what what's most important about it is is what it how it made people feel. Oh yeah, it it yeah. I mean, it it, it was it it kind of like. It laid down. All right, this is where we this is where we stand. Mm. We're we're effectively going to get we're going to try and get rid of as many brown people as we can. Like that's that's what Trump was saying with this, and that was coming directly from Steve Bannon and, and from Steve Miller and the team of the coterie of people he had around him. And so when that became okay to try and deport people or try to prevent um, people from coming prevent in, people from coming in. When that became okay, and when I say, when I'm saying it became okay, I'm talking about from a policy point of view. Obviously, there are millions of Americans who care deeply about this and who have compassion for this. But when, on a policy level, this is this is how this is what this is how we're going to roll. You shouldn't be surprised when more and more crimes against humanity start happening, when more and more violent things start happening, when the president starts condoning. Nazi behavior when the president is tweeting horrendous misogynist stuff and starts defending um, judges or uh, politicians who are accused of sexual assault mm. like all bets are off once you kind of go down that road there is no end game and that's the, one of the interesting things that's happened since I moved home is people keep asking me like oh, surely that'll be the thing and what people don't understand is there is no thing. No, but this see, is this is a trajectory towards an like end game. You can't get shocked anymore because there's always something else to have. I mean, what normally happens in, in political scandals is that there's one singular item that people pick out and go, "That's out, that's outrageous." Mm. From from a kind of a a normal pattern of behaviour, and then something is, uh, identifies itself as being off the wall, and you hone in on that. And that becomes a controversy for a number of days or weeks, and that begins to, to you know, the, the downfall of the politician. But this individual and Trump, it's something every week which is is so outrageous and so unpresidential and so disgusting uh, and so overtly xenophobic. But you just get used to it. Oh, so it's you're been not normalized. Even, you're not even, yeah, it's yeah. getting normalized. So what he says, I mean, this this there's not even dog whistles anymore. The, everything is about you know illegal immigration, linking it with murder rates, um, you know, drugs, linking it with illegal immigration. Um, it's really, really debasing uh, politics. But what I find is so depressing about it is that, and uh, there's an inability to effectively call it out. There's a there seems to be an inability within the Republican Party to actually um, 
to, to distance themselves from it because clearly there's some political advantage in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, people would have walked away from him. Um, I mean, there were these paragons of virtue or, or supposedly paragons of virtue and Lindsey Graham and the like no, who, who are now just, uh, no. who, who are pandering to him. Uh, and then the Democrats seem to be on, on one level not be able to get any, any political advantage from it. But w- why are there so many Irish Americans? You mentioned Bannon. Like Mike Pence is an Irish American, mm-hmm. uh, you Paul know Kelly, Ryan. Paul Ryan, Sean Kelly, Spicer, Kelly, Kelly, Con- Conway, Kelly yeah. and Conway, Sean Spicer, like it seems uh, uh, Kelly, um, you know why are there so many Irish Americans surrounding this guy? It's it it jumps off the page when I when I look at his administration. I'm not sure if your average American really makes that connection. In fact, when we were over there at least we, we were doing some media and, and you point out the number of Irish names, it's not immediately obvious to an American that mm. they, all these people are Irish Americans. But what is it um, about Irish America? Uh, and, you know, Pete King is a classic example in New York, somebody who's absolutely in in favour of his of the Muslim ban and the, and the rhetoric around the wall and the anti-immigrant uh, sentiment. How can they... Wear the green on Patrick's Day. Celebrate the uh, the immigrant uh, uh, immigrant story of the Irish, and yet be totally at ease with this with this anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric. Well, I think um, I think you have to go way back for that. I think what happened was when there was mass emigration to America, the Irish arrived. So Daniel Daniel O'Connell brought Frederick Douglass over. This I'm going right back now. Yeah. He brought him over to Ireland, and he's like, "Look, when you go to America." This is Frederick. When you see people like him, because Irish people hadn't really seen black people, mm. you see people like him, you have a common cause with, with these people. So, you know, stick together. And when the Irish arrived in America, in New York, my understanding of it is that they were faced with incredible discrimination and treated absolutely appallingly. And I think what happened was... A lot of it was religious-based. Was, 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 well, yeah. Was, was there were Catholic, yeah, there was yeah. a, an anti-Catholic exactly. uh, bias. I mean, there was a, an election in the 20s. It was Al Smith was uh, was uh, effectively lost the election because he was a Catholic. In fact, even when JFK ran the 60s in 1960, he had to um, he had to absolutely address his Catholicism mm-hmm. uh, and, and face it down because, you know, the the accusation of, of Rome rule was yeah. still there, so the anti Catholic sentiment. So being a being a Catholic certainly would have been uh, a disadvantage for for your average uh, Irish immigrant, yeah. Which is you know kind of ironic given that America was founded for religious freedom. But anyway, um, so I think Irish people arrived, they faced huge oppression and discrimination, and I think then they discovered the color line. Like they discovered, well, hang on a second, if we just turn around here and we oppress and uh, and treat black people badly then we will have common cause with the white people that are right. here and so, so we, that's kind of like clamber over these these uh, exactly and yeah. pull up the ladder right. and what we'll do is then we will it's a way for us to move up and a way for us to move forward and that's what they did that's I mean that's how the Irish became white in America and I think from that moment on they stopped being Irish in the true sense of the of of the word and the meaning and what it is to be Irish, that's my opinion. Right. Um. And it makes a lot of sense. Like you get you arrive somewhere. I mean, human nature is like it's not us, it's them, and like point over to the people and the people that were that they were pointing to were slaves or former slaves, right? Or freed, yeah, freed slaves. Um. So I think that that's where it started. Um. And then like, there's just this huge fear of the other in America 
like huge fear there's like a lot of older white men probably women too who are super afraid of the way that America is changing that it's getting browner mm. it's getting blacker yeah. it's speaking more Spanish they are really not cool with that because their national self image is of if you think of American family it's a white family yeah right it's a man a woman man woman and children blonde hair blue eyes yeah uh, that's the American, American narrative yeah it's the yeah, American yeah. It's, and these America is built on false narratives you know this whole thing of like pull yourself up by the bootstraps well actually that's you know these are things that are built to make people to basically keep rich white men rich and powerful and to and benefit off the labour of people who are anything other than that yeah Um. so but it's all couched in this idea of freedom, which is to go back to the idea of, of the of the gun thing. It's like, you know, I'm I'm free to have this because I have to protect my freedom and the and the, the capitalist narrative as well is that, you know, we are free to, to chart our own destiny. Uh, and it's kind of I don't know, I mean you can speak to this better than I can because I haven't lived in the States, but like um if you don't make it it's kind of maybe it's your own fault. Oh, it's your own fault. Yeah. And that is a hundred percent. Like I've had conversations with people So stop whinging. Uh yeah, exactly. It was like, you know, well if you don't like the school or the neighborhood where you are, just move with absolutely no kind of awareness or compassion for the fact that they may not be able to afford to move. But it's your fault that you're like that. It's basically your fault if you're poor. There's no and this I think the root cause of it all is and I'm going to get all kinds of, you know, Marxist, communist, <laughs> cook comments about this. You can at me, Lisa TK. Um <laughs> Is that, it's about, right, go for it. Go it's, for it, Lisa. It's capitalism. <gasps> and I'll tell you this. When I left America, I had like this kind of epiphany about that every single movement you make from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep is about somebody making a dollar out of you. Mm. It's all about making a dollar. So every a, single facet of American society is about making a dollar. And it's capitalism. It's doing exactly what it is, but it's eating itself. As as a as a humane society, capitalism is eating humanity. So there is, you don't think there's a sense of the collective? No. A sense the, no. Of, the, is there really a sense of the nation? Because Americans talk a lot about patriotism, a lot about the military, a lot about the flag, a lot about the anthem, uh, and so on. On that level, you would assume, well, this is all about this this collective identity they have, and that the, that the, the country is really important to them. I mean, is is that? Is that just an inch deep? Does it does does it not really doesn't reflect? Ma- I don't think that the flag, uh, like let's look at the NFL for example, yeah. where you know people are boycotting the NFL because or were last season because players were taking a knee mm. during um, during the the, during the American national anthem, which is about the most peaceful civic protest you can make. But it's just so depressing that they have to they have to have an I don't know I mean I just why do you have to have an answer if you, if you're really secure about your your uh, identity why do you have but to have an answer? But they're not answer? secure uh, about their identity. Now yeah. we're going back to Irish America. Is that this, every this single person you meet in America? I cannot every second person I met in America was like they'd hear my Irish accent and they'd say oh I'm Irish, and then you know I say I used to <laughs> and say then you you say what every Irish person says really where are you from? That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. And then I got more compassion for it because I, as I learned that Americans have this need to belong. So you can see it like they'll always have like the T-shirt or the hat or the jacket from their college 
or their kids' college or their sports team. Like, there's such a need for identity yeah, in America. I've, I've like, they need that, to belong. That so the, that the high all, school thing is so important to them because that's that's you know well, they, they need to cling to because something. they're a nation of people that came from other places. Yeah. So how how real is the Irish thing then? I mean, like, look, we're we're two Irish people. You you, you lived in America. You know, um, we've had some success in in the states of trying to to rattle the the self consciousness of Irish American people. Right? We want to do more of that through, through this podcast. But like, how real or how important is 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 Ireland? Oh, it's huge. People, to, no, to your Irish Irish American, do they do they really think about the Irish experience when they're going to vote? No. Well, no. okay. So here we're going on to my hot topic. Right. Education. All right. So what's happened in America is when you don't have when your primary focus as a nation, if you are a united nation, is not educating every single one of your children and citizens to the highest possible standard. What you end up with is a country that votes for somebody like Donald Trump, a two bit crook from New York City. Period. End of full stop. America does not have a centralized education system. It's state by state. There are states, there are counties in, uh, there are um, education boards in counties in states vote, writing Hillary Clinton out of history. Right? <laughs> now, you may, you may not like her politics, but yeah. she was the first woman to ever. Yeah. She did exist. And she was the first woman to ever run for, to run as a Democratic. The first mainstream, uh, f- first woman from a mainstream party. To get Shirley Chisholm ran but she didn't get that far. She couldn't even get coverage from the media. Yeah. She's the first person to do it. Hillary Clinton was the first woman to do this. So she didn't and exist. So, and so she does And so they're right now. They're also like teaching creationism. They can choose to teach creationism, which is where they, you know, dinosaurs were put here by God or something like that. Something. It's something as completely made up and ridiculous as that. That science is not a thing. second episode so, of our Irish Dan podcast yeah, is dinosaurs where, where were, dinosaurs put here by where God Where dinosaurs were came, came from. But if you watch, so, if you watch the, the debates, right, the, the primary debates, and, and I do, and I'm addicted to this stuff, grim. right, the, and, and you're just used to the stuff about oil and Israel, and you're used to stuff on guns, and you're used to stuff about abortion, and you just go right that this my my head can, uh, my I get my head is getting around the stuff now, and then, then this rhetoric from the Republican side is like every single one of them, one of them wants to abolish the Department of Education, and you're sitting there, why what why why is this something that every, and then everybody kind of you know round, round of applause for this mm-hmm. and if there's one department I want to get rid of it's the Department of Education because, yeah, because and, and you find yourself like from, from a European perspective like from an Irish perspective you go Did, what like n- anybody in Europe in any European democracy or any Irish politician who said that they'd just be stunned silence as to what why well, that's where the cultural divide is okay right. That's where America. The only because they com- see the only thing we have in common control, a federalized or centralized they cannot, control. They don't on young want minds. government. They do not want government in my business. Get off my land! Get off my land! Seriously, like that was a, that was a gun sound. That was a gun. That was my fake gun sound. Like, get off my land! They don't want you in their business. Okay. Even even liberal or progressive people have very, I think, strange opinions about how involved the government should be in, in their in their day-to-day life. And there is a large portion of America, again, sweeping generalizations from Lisa Tierney Kyo, that, you know, might like to homeschool their kids or don't think that there's their the government has any business telling them what they should be teaching their children. And when you have a country which is made up of fifty states and so many different 
experiences and cultures, how do you how do you to put a how do you put like a, an umbrella education system on that with the culture of don't put government in my bit I don't want government in my life like you can't so basically you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole so you have a country that is not educated in the same way so you have like that's where the like coastal elites come from and that's you know the Ivy the Ivy League schools so you have you have millions of people who are well educated and might have access and privilege to travel and leave America and then people who have never left America don't own a passport and maybe have never left their state and probably didn't get a great education it is true I mean Trump somebody just described Trump and they're as, all supposed to be the same Trump is like the, the poor man's idea of a rich man and not very bright man's idea of a of 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 a bright man you I know mean, I mean that's I've I've complicated feelings about that but like you know I just I really I, I've really struggled with trying to explain how to, to Irish people that you cannot think that a European country and America are the same. Like we like you say, if somebody stand up and go, you know, I want to abolish the education system. We fundamentally believe that <laughs> yeah. educating children is the way that you create a good society in America. That's not the way because it is a capitalist society and. Schools, in, in its education ra- systems in its, are, are f- farmed out to private in, in its rawest form, in its, in its rawest, most extreme yeah, form. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. But like you know, the, uh, a private company will tender for the contract to be the educators for the New York public school system. Here's a statistic for it. It's going to blow your head. Uh, I won't make a gun sounds, but uh, or not, it's not, it, it, um, Neil Gaiman wrote this in the Guardian a while ago. He was at this event. I think it was in New York State, and all the prisons are outsourced. Oh yeah, they're all privately run. And apparently there's um, when they're trying to um, project the number of prison cells or or capacity they'll need in 15 years time, they just look at the literacy rates of 10 year olds Mm -hmm. because they can. It's terrifying. They can predict exactly how many prison places they're going to need, judging by the the current rate of literacy um, amongst 10 year olds. And you know what else? And you know what else you can make money out of? You can make money out of prisons. You can make money out of detention centers. You can make money out of building a wall. You can make money out of all kinds of things. So the you Ari- can make money against right. class, uh, and you can make money out of all. You can make money out of anything in America. And what Donald Trump is doing is he's monetizing. He's basically monetizing every social issue. Like there's a way to make money. Like they're they're we're, they're 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 a hair's breadth away from starting a war. Like I mean, if it was Korea a while ago, now it's like you know, will it be Saudi? Like I don't know. He's not going to start a war over a journalist. I mean. Since when does Donald Trump care about journalists? Um, I'm talking about the Saudi Arabia, mm. Saudi Arabian yeah, yeah. journalist who was butchered in Turkey, was it? The Turkish embassy. The Turkish yeah. embassy. Um, all of this is going back to the point of how did we get to the point where we have somebody like Donald Trump? All of that is why. Because the the population are not... So the Irish, the Irish American idea, and of course, there's a, I mean, I don't even know what Irish America is, right? I mean, there's an Irish America who, my, you know, my family came back here, came to the states in during the famine, right? Mm-hmm. Which is absolute. I mean, who was the who was the, the Irish American uh, uh, guy who on think on Patrick's Day wearing a green tie? Is it Mulvaney? Um, was making an announcement about cutting back on famine relief. On St. Patrick's Day, wearing a green tie, oh, yeah. his family clearly... But they don't see it. This they is they the thing, they don't see it. But there's an Irish-American who goes back to the famine. There's an Irish-American that came, that came in the 50s, there's an Irish-American that came in the 80s. Um, 
you know, it, 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 do you find that that people whose parents are Irish or Irish themselves have a different view of uh, of the of the experience than people who have an Irish name, but it goes back 150 years? I mean, I I get what you're saying about uh, the famine era and you know trying to clamber your way over over African Americans uh, or whoever. And then, you know, you, you find identity in that and you are the successful uh, immigrant clan and you cling to your whiteness and that's what progresses you through society, right? Fine. But surely a more recent immigrant or immigrant family who came over in the 80s would have would have a different perspective. There's a lot of immigrants that will come over who are not Irish, who will vote for Trump, who who would be like, who would be conservative. There's a, there'll be a big thing about like uh, people who came here, who came to America quote unquote legally having a major beef with people who come here quote unquote illegally uh, when I say here I'm talking about America um, to me I think the biggest the biggest hurdle and the biggest problem is compassion is that when Irish Americans or their families or their, their descendants look at other immigrants coming in to America now and they feel a sense of like, you know, keep them out, build a wall, mm. you know, they should come in legally or they're less than whatever. There is a startling lack of compassion for what where those people came from. Like a lot of people who come across the border at Mexico have fled violence, the kind that is a, your worst nightmare from like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, like what it takes to actually get to the Mexico-America border is phenomenal. Mm. And then to be, to, so there's no thought to to my mind when people talk about, when, when people are thinking about immigrants coming in and building a wall, they're not even thinking about like where these people have come from. And that's a lack of compassion. And when you have policies about keeping refugees out and like lowering the amount of refugees you allow into America, that's that comes from a place of com like no compassion. Mm. There's no compassion. And that to me, fundamentally, it my takeaway from America was that there is a serious lack of compassion in governmental policies. Yes, of course, there are people with compassion day to day, but it's not filtering into the government. It's not filtering into the politicians. But this is, uh, see, uh, it's funny because we're, we're almost describing Ireland like a paragon of virtue. and you know, Which it's not. Which, which it isn't. But funny enough, last number of years, we've had marriage equality and we've had obviously repealing the eight this year. And what I, I, I had a period uh, in in government as a minister of state for for um, a number of areas, but one of them was was uh, in the refugee area, the immigration area. And um, what I found interesting, I mean, there's there's any amount of things that we do wrong in Ireland on mm. the immigration policy. Anything, any amount mm -hmm. of things we do wrong in asylum policy, direct provision is a classic example of that. And trying to reform that was difficult. But the the pressure I got, right, as as somebody in government trying to do something about this, none of it from any political party or any voice was we need to be tougher we need to be harder we need mm. to be stricter none of it all of it was from a humanitarian basis we need to be more human we need to be more empathetic we need to be um, you know more compassionate all of it all of the pressure all of the voices and there's not one touch wood a political entity in Ireland a mainstream political party who runs an anti-immigration ticket who or has immigration mm. on any of their priority lists at election time it just doesn't connect with the Irish uh, population. And that is not, that's a commentary on, on every political party. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we should be quite proud of. So it doesn't resonate. Now, there will be the individual politician who will say something 
you know, anti-traveller. Uh, uh, you know, the, the might say something uh, anti anti immigrants all the time, but it's it's not mainstream. It's not sort of um, formalized in a in a political narrative, which is which is effective. And I just thought it was the the separation at the border thing. Like we had an event here in Dublin, uh, or sorry, a press conference around that time. And uh, Fiona McAtee obviously is a is a supporter of Irish Dan. She's a um, an immigration uh, lawyer in Chicago. And she spoke at our event in uh, in Dublin, and she was over, and we boycotted the, you know, as a senator, you get invitations mm. to to the um, the Fourth of July celebration from the from the ambassador. So we said, but we, we that whole controversy came out a week before that. So we said we're going to boycott it, and we have an, a, a Chicago-based um, Irish senator uh, as well called uh, Billy Lawless, and the three of us had a press conference and said that we wouldn't attend the. Um, uh, the American ambassador's um, reception on the basis of of, uh, of this controversy over uh, family separation, uh, and it seemed to strike a chord. I think which the kind of people you'd expect it to strike a chord with, Democratic supporters, you know, the Elizabeth Warren type uh, mindset, but for Republicans, or for people who you wanted maybe to think twice about what what Trump was doing. It didn't seem to have that much of an effect, and and again, you'd have. Uh, I saw I saw one commenter commentator saying that what the, the, the cries you heard was just pretty much the same cries you'd hear in in, in any oh, daycare center. Oh, they will spin it whatever way yeah. they need to. And, and here's the thing: th- there's people- never the pinch point. I mean, there's normally a pinch point in 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 politics where there used to be that everybody agrees on something. Everybody no, agrees that does that not happen in America. Wrong, that right? does not happen in America. Everybody agrees the that only something thing is that, a lie. The only time that that happens is when there's a terrorist attack. Right. That's the only time. But it's it's as if now things have got so polarized. And the, the thing that what worries me so much about Trump is that if it was just America, you could kind of go, well, look, it'll be over in a few years' time. But the same thing is happening in Britain. Mm. The same thing is happening across Europe. Mm. The the results in every election in in Europe, are, you know, frighten you to death. Um, in every country that you that you previously thought had turned the page and turned the corner and was getting more progressive, it's just going uh, the opposite direction. Um, in Germany and Austria and Hungary and in in Poland, um, it's it's and then of course you have the the collective um, nervous breakdown that's happening in Britain over Brexit and. It's similar to what's happening in America. Is that there's nothing that anybody agrees on, that's either a, that's a lie or is wrong, except as you say, a terrorist attack. But as soon as it's a terrorist attack, there's an assumption uh, as to who is behind it. It's about immigration, really. Yeah. And you find yourself as an observer of these things whenever there is a mass shooting, and this like this this makes me feel deeply uncomfortable admitting this, hoping the person is white, hoping that the perpetrator perpetrator of this horrendous uh, you know act of terrorism isn't and it usually is yeah but yeah exactly because yeah. you, you, you don't want it to be used um, in order to to, to promote the, the xenophobic racist narrative you know uh, and so truth is now uh, but even, up for grabs but completely even a tru- no truth is gone it's gone it's gone even when there's nothing that anybody would agree on and it doesn't no. matter what my candidate has done uh, accused of um, sexually inappropriate behaviour, financial irregularity, whatever. He's on my side, generally it's a he. He's on my side, and therefore that's it, full stop. Nothing else matters. Do you remember when Kellyanne Conway said alternative, did she say alternative truth? Alternative facts. Alternative alternative facts. facts yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, well, most people don't because so much has happened since then. And when that happened, 
when they started spinning and when you see Sarah Sanders Huckabee stand up on the and on, on the press stand the press podium in the White House and spin things like journalists will ask her uh, like here is the truth of something that happened because we all saw probably video footage of it and she will outright deny it or you know spin it somehow there's no such thing as truth anymore when it comes to the the current administration in America and what's happening is that's filtering down into society and people are buying into it and if you watch Fox News which a lot of people do and you watch Sean Hannity uh, who is another, another Irish, Irish American, American. <laughs> right if you watch people like him the power that that man w- wields over people and they it goes into their tubes and they watch it i have extended family members who watch Sean Hannity solely and that's their news but it's, source it's the it's the go jesus it's the, yes. it's the it's the go to um uh you know uh, rebuttal if you're shown absolute evidence that somebody is a crook uh, that's the mainstream media it's uh, it is, uh, like bias. listen there's a narrative to vilify every single situation and um, America is in a situation now where it is going so far one direction and so far the other. There's just this chasm. Like I have this crazy whack job theory that America just needs to secede. Like states need to secede from each other because it's just not working. <laughs> oh, I think California is gone. California, I mean, <laughs> California could technically, California is the sixth largest economy in the world. Yeah. It could work just fine. I mean, I believe, somebody told me recently that there are logistics that, that, that wouldn't that wouldn't allow it to happen. But um, there is, and there, there are, there are real credible reasons for America maybe not being so United States anymore. It's not working the way it is. That's my this is you're going into my wacko theories about it. But um well, that's the whole point. It's so yeah, I know. We want more wacko we, we want my wacko theories. What the world needs oh, is another wacko theory. Another wacko podcast. theory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's not working how it is and it's just getting more and more divided. And so when you've got one side and this is the thing, the two party system is destroying America. It's basically doing that. It's doing the the old story in, in, in the history of time. It's good versus evil. And both sides think they're good. OK, and both sides so I've listed things that are wrong here with America. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the other thing? Anyway, so listen, so, oh, hang on. so, so, Let's right. Listen to me here. Give me some solutions then. You have November 6th coming up, right? Okay. And um we want uh, the Democrats to do better. Well, first of we all, want a reaction okay. against Trump. Uh, we, 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 we want... Everybody's talking about a blue wave. It's yeah. not coming. We both know that. It's not coming. Well, I, well you, you possibly know more than I do. I don't, I don't know. really know more than you, I don't think. But I, the Democrat... People, people have been talking about a blue wave. People are pushing for a vote. Um, people typically midterm... First of all, American voting voter turnout is pathetic. I think I read somewhere that like one county in a state is the turnout is 3%. Okay, so then you've got um, voter suppression going on. So there is so many different things at play here. And this is the most consequential election, midterm election since I think it was... Since the last one. Since, no, <laughs> since 2010. Uh, no, midterms. Right. Um, everybody got it wrong about Donald Trump. All the people that you think would get it right, they all got it wrong. So you can't poll yeah. people. People. Funny thing is, though, they're all posturing like they know. Funny thing is, though, yeah. I, but there was a moment I was in Philadelphia at the Democratic convention because you know, uh, when you're an Irish senator, you go anywhere that people think you're important. So America's <laughs> the place to go. <laughs> and uh, two things happened. One, I was at this Irish American gig, 
and um, you know there's uh, Irish people over there and there's Irish journalists there and uh, the Irish ambassador was there and this young kind of you know slick Irish American guy uh, who uh, you know welcomed me at the door and and, and asked me uh, you know how are you getting on Sandra how's uh, enjoying your time in here I said yeah yeah I said I actually got to meet one of my heroes last night I got to meet Jesse Jackson and this guy said to me yeah she's great she's really great yeah so then I told the story to somebody and I think and uh, you said, yeah, but that's the problem with the Hillary campaign. They have a whole lot of people who just want to be West Wing extras who don't believe in anything. They just want to get on the bandwagon. They don't, you know, they have no value system. Well, they this ties know who into Jesse my other wacko Jackson. theory, which is most people like, are dummies. Uh, well, the, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that one down. Most people are. And uh, the second thing was, though, uh, about the, the, the convention was I'm watching a lot of American TV and all the and, and people at the event said, "You don't think this is a lockdown?" He is connecting with people that that the Democrats have always assumed were theirs, and he, he won Pennsylvania, uh, uh, you know, which hadn't been won by the by the by the Republicans since 1988. But all the answer on telly was that he had Trump had was about American steel and all these images of American workers and you know blackened faces uh, uh, and sparks flying and stuff, you know, and it's like America getting back to work, and it was just you find yourself connecting with it, right? Uh, and then her ads were about him. Yeah. You know, uh, our children are watching Donald. And uh, I know Pennsylvania has this whole steel industry thing, you know, Pittsburgh. Hillary Steelers, Clinton could never win that election. Yeah. America wasn't ready but, for a woman. The misogyny in America and the misogyny in the world right. is just too intense. But okay. we won't go there right now. Fine. But let me that's that's that that's an analysis. I think it goes much more I, I, I think yeah, right, Grant, but I think for this for twenty sixteen was possibly a change election on one level that 2008 was because 2008 was a rejection of what had happened with Bush and the collapse of the economy uh, and uh, and all the rest of it and and 2016 was another change election and it was um, also a reaction to eight years of an African American president yeah, which yeah, people yeah, had yeah, yeah. a real problem with but if people are hurting and people are vulnerable and people are sore they're going to vote for somebody who makes them feel better yeah, and somebody and like Trump, feel, com- somebody like Trump comes in and goes, it's hope "I'm going to get it stuff. done." It's a hopey change, change stuff, or it's it's that person's fault, and and let's just beat down on that guy. Yeah. you know, people can go either way. So, so, so anyway, so give here, me some solutions here because I've got a lot of problems written down. Okay, here. so the Democrats, so there's the House of Representatives and there is the Senate. The House of Representatives is, they're saying it will mo. It's it's likely that 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 the Democrats okay, might for an, take for an twenty. Now, that, that's like, that's Congress. That's about six hundred. Con- in seats. Congress, there are four hundred thirty-five seats Sorry. altogether. Um, so no, I beg your pardon, five hundred thirty-five seats. Thank you. Sorry, there's a hundred in Senate because yep. there's two senators per two state. Two senators per state. And there's four hundred thirty-five in the House of Representatives. Five hundred thirty-five. That was five thirty-five members of Congress. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. so it's 435. Uh, yeah, 435 exactly. in the House of Representatives. Yeah. People are saying that, yeah, so the Democrats need 23 seats to actually win the House of Representatives. Right. The Senate, they need to, the Senate is currently 49-51. Mike Pence is the swing because he's the, he's the vice president. The Dems need to retain their, all their seats and gain two, which is, I cannot see happening. In the Senate? I can't see it happening. At all. In fact, I think they'll struggle with the House of Representatives. The Democratic Party might have some individuals who are doing well, but overall, here is my hot sweeping take on it. I think that people are so worn down and so weary and so kind of there's so much apathy that they're actually not going to turn out. I think that the 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 Steve Bannon shock and all, like just keep it coming, keep all the like 
keep bad things coming one after another is working. I think that if you look at the news cycles where people like between Monday and Friday, you're just exhausted. And I think the American people are just wrecked. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to retreat and be like, sure, nothing I do helps anyway. So uh, what's the point in voting? But that's not the point of this podcast, Lisa. But that's, I know. What we're trying to say is go out and vote. Yes. I know that. And that's why I'm saying it. I'm saying it because that is probably what people are feeling. Right. They're feeling like so it they doesn't shouldn't matter. Feel that. They feel they shouldn't feel like that because, because your vote does matter. You see, you're back in Ireland matter. five minutes and you're a complete cynic. I'm not cynical. This is <laughs> this is my read. This is my superhuman parade and I read the, the emotional tone. Right. Okay. Brilliant. And I'm telling you that this is probably how a lot of people are feeling. Okay. And what and I'm saying feel is that way. if you're in America yes. and you happen to be listening to this. You want to listen to two maybe, Irish people telling you what to do. Maybe you like Ireland. Maybe you know some Irish people. Just have a little think about compassion and have a think about how your vote actually does matter. Because I mean, and also the did, message that do they this care sent, about the way the rest of the world looks at them? Some of them do, not yeah. really, not really. I and, and which is ironic because what the tone that America sets kind of like ripples across the world. You know, the a man who was accused of sexual assault just put appointed a man who was accused of sexual assault to the Supreme Court. That mm. sends a pretty, pretty bad Another message. Another Irish American, Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I can't do that yeah, right now. There you go. But what I'm saying is, Kavanaugh. votes do matter. Kavanaugh. Yeah. Votes do matter. And when people feel they're most worn down and they're most weary of the toxicity, and that that is the time when you have to you have to go and vote. And it will make a difference. And I think what will make a difference is white, educated, uh, professional women. That's what I'm hearing on my on on the podcasts I'm listening to and the stuff I'm reading. I also think that black women play a huge role in this. Black women came out um, to vote against Roy Moore in Alabama, who was accused of child molestation. Yeah. And they saved that state. They did. Because they turned up and they voted in a state like Alabama where black women are... Historically horrendously treated. Historically, currently, Currently, systemically oppressed on every hand's turn, are paid less than, uh, I think they're on 60-something cents on the dollar. Like, So so what I'm saying is... I get what you're saying. In 2008, there was a a feeling, you know, we can change the world. mm. Uh, Everybody was empowered, you know, hope Mm. you change your stuff, as Sarah Palin says. Now you're feeling that there's just a depression amongst people that they they have no effect. There's nothing they can do to change this. And what I'm saying is women get out and vote because I actually think it'll be women that... I think it'll be... I think it'll be women... That can make the difference here. Right. And our message to Irish America is... Go and vote. Stop being a bunch of racists. And ha- Stop being a bunch of racists. Sorry. And also, oh, sorry. Commercial break there. Not all Irish Americans. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. The but message... Just a lot of them. Send a message. Don't go and vote for your se- a Republican senator because they're a nice person. Remember that if you keep this, if you keep the Senate re- Republican... You're sending a message to say that we're okay with Donald Trump. We're okay with the message that he sends. And we're okay with the most disgusting, misogynist, racist president that has ever sat in the White House. If you vote Republican, that is the message you're sending, regardless of how much you might like your senator or why, your or your um, why should representative. Um, why should Irish people in Ireland care? I think it's really important to look at America and understand that whatever culture they're putting out there, we're, we're picking up. Mm. And that's been the way since we were kids. Yeah. 
whatever culture America is dropping, the rest of the world is picking up. And Ireland is just as much of an uh, of a sponge for American culture as as the rest of the world. And we have such a, like close historical ties and political ties going way back. It's it, so important that we we do not ever let our standards slip and start going towards Asher, like, you know, isn't it mad though that this little country that we used to be so self-critical of is actually on some level a beacon of light potentially to the world. We're stuck in between Brexit. Progressive country in, in, in certainly in Europe and and possibly the world. Yeah. If we just sort out a few major problems. Yeah, exactly. Holy. When you think about it. Now we are large between Brexit and Trump. We have um, American media and we have British media. The English language media mm. is is you know commentating on these two big um, nervous breakdowns, uh, and here we are in the middle, and and we're we're voting through progressive legislation. We're voting in progressive referenda. We're we're, we're potentially voting for Compassion, for a, for a, yeah yeah for like a, a, um, mainstream conservative political parties in Ireland are now are now running to the left. Um, you know, it's it's uh, the most likely going to re-elect a, a, a very progressive president head of state. It's it's remarkable the changes and the all the old uh, assumptions about Ireland are that's being washed away, and so yeah, I think we do we do have we do have a, have a, a potential to say something that the world could stand up and listen Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And, and because if Trump decides to come yeah. here, I mean, there was a huge reaction to his potential visit. Decide that he's potentially going to come um, actually next month. He's going to come in November. He may come in January. If Ireland is to reject that idea, I think it will, it, it will say something about us to the world. Absolutely. I think Ireland and America are so closely linked. And I think that given the and make no mistake, we have so far to go in this country, but we have we have taken huge, huge monumental strides in the past few years in terms of progressing this country to being a more compassionate society. And I think that because of the ties between America and the US, we are positioned to be like, hey, 34.5 million people in America claim Irish heritage. So, you know, there is a link there. So listen to us. We listen to you. You listen to us. It's a symbiotic relationship. Okay. I don't know if this is going to go into the ears of any Americans, but that's what I have to say about it. Okay, and with that, we'll sign off. And that was that was um, really enjoyable. So on sound today, we had John Casey on coffee, sound O'Riordan, and we'll talk to you on the next edition of the Irish Stand podcast. Thanks.